0: Thank you for choosing OECD Podcasts.
1: Welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Kate Lancaster and I'm speaking with Erica Wittegren, Chief Executive of Reimagine Europa, an ideas incubator and advocacy group launched in April 2018. Hello, Erica, and welcome. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you're at the OECD today taking part in our conference 10 years after the failure of Lehman Brothers. What have we learned? And that seems like a great question, in fact, with which to start. So what have we learned? What role did the crisis and its aftermath play in the creation
0: of Reimagine Europa? Reimagine Europa was created It's the brainchild of President Giscard d'Estaing when he wrote a book in 2014 together with the former German Chancellor Helmut Schmidt. Together they were pivotal in building up many of the institutions of the European Union and they were thinking after the financial crisis, what would they do if they were still in power to help Europe? What came out was a book with some very concrete proposals which were very pragmatic and that didn't require any treaty shifts or major changes. Can you give us a few examples? Well, they're proposing um, in Reimagine Europa, they come with a kind of four step process of what Europe would need to do. The monetary union and the stabilization of the euro was obviously a first step of Mm. an economic integration. I think the starting point for them is that the world has changed. And with giants such as the US and China, Europe needs to stick together if we are supposed to have the power to protect and to empower our citizens. Mm. Citizens were always pivotal for them in their work that went beyond national borders. Of course, one working being the president of France and the other the chancellor of Germany and from two different political parties as well, one from the center right and one from the center left. During our d- conversations about this, we were looking at what is the possibility of Europa, so these new political mm. happening today. And I think the, the general feeling was that today there isn't the political will or capacity to do that, even though it's actually what is needed to overcome some of the structural problems that ha- the crisis the will highlighted. The to bring
1: everyone together more tightly.
0: Yes, they advocate a stronger Europe in certain areas. So what President Giscard today would call a confederation, with, so with clear areas in which Europe collaborates more, specifically on economic areas. Um, from a theoretical perspective, it uh, shouldn't be possible to have... a uh, a common currency without having a common fiscal policy, mm-hmm. as well as a treasury and other economic systems that helps regulate this currency. Would there be areas then where if they're in a confederation, they also cooperate and concentrate less? That's one of the key points, that Europe is not the United States of America. The national identities are very strong, and there are certain areas that shouldn't be dealt with European. And I think the subsidiarity principle is really ingrained in how Europe is built. And mm-hmm. we're not only talking about European and national, and also we're also talking talking about regional and local. Um, And I think that this is something that we'll need to see happening in the next couple of years.
1: When you launched in April, I was very taken with the slogan, let's bring back le bonheur, happiness, to the European debate. Can you speak a little bit more about that? That seems much more human and personal than just fiscal cohesion.
0: I think that there's a general feeling. And in my conversations with President Giscard, I'm always so pleasantly surprised because he comes always with a positive feeling. He thinks Mm. that the hardest part is behind us. When building, and he's been part of building Europe from the beginning, he was part of the group that Jean Monnet brought together to really start thinking about the European project. It was just after the war, the sentiment between France and Germany and the national, I think we can call them uh, hatreds or complete distrust, Mm. were very strong, and they managed to build what we now see as the European Union, which has been the most successful and inspiring political project ever built. What we need to do now is very simple compared to what was done in the past. Do you think that's fair to say, though, because
1: we're at a moment in time, a moment in history, and maybe the crisis is a part of what caused this, though, where communities seem more polarized, more fractured, both within countries and across countries. We're seeing the rise of extreme groups on both ends of the political spectrum, rising fear of the other, someone who's not of your nation or of your even your town. So... Couldn't it be that we're almost back in the same place? What do you think?
0: I think there are two trends going here. There's definitely general insecurity, and the political environment right now is quite frightening. And I think the second point is that the real work that needs to be done is actually not that hard. And that, I think, links us to the paradox in which we are with now. Mm. The financial crisis of 2008, coupled with the humanitarian crisis and the migration flows of 2014 and 15, have created a sense in which we know all the evidence shows that in order to overcome the structural difficulties that the financial crisis highlighted, we need more collaboration, more multilateralism, and at a European level, more Europe. But yet that same crisis has created the national rhetoric that has brought up the nationalistic parties, the anti-European sentiment, the mm. anti-the-other, we can call also because anti-immigration sentiments, that is making it impossible to actually address the problems. So we're in, somehow in this vortex of negativity that's spiraling uh, out of mm. control.
1: So then how is Reimagine Europa going to address that? How are you going to bring together all these different points of view from Euroskeptics to people who support Europe who want to take it further, uh, how can we break down these silos and bring people together?
0: In the conversation this afternoon, there was a point made about looking at historical similar situations, whether we're talking about the French revolutions yes. or the 1930, uh, 1930s. And I think what people need now is a bold new alternative. Politically, we're seeing alternatives uh, coming up from the left and from the right, whether it is is 1930s right-wing politics or 1970s left-wing politics. But the traditional parties are keeping very much on more of the same. And I Mm. think that that is what's wrong. Most people do not want to go extreme. So what Reimagine Europa wants to do is to bring that alternative, working with the different sides, both at because we think we do need the experience and the expertise of leading think tanks, of leading organizations like the OECD and the Mm. Commission, but we also need the engagement and the creativity from citizens, civil society organizations. How do we bring that together to create a new positive discussion? Mm. But that cannot be how do we fix the current system. It must be how do we want the new system to be. Hmm. How do we want
1: the new system to be and how do we bring people together to have the conversations that will make that happen? Well, I was looking a bit on your site and you have an impressive group of leaders who are an advisory board, including our own OECD secretary general. But how are you going to involve individual
0: citizens and especially young people? Well, it's been very exciting to see the amount of support that we have received from very different groups. And I think that the level of people involved in our advisory board really shows that this is something that people share and that people think that is needed. We're also involving obviously the younger generations, the European Youth Forum Mm -hmm. is part of our group. And um, on the 18th of September, we're having a debate where a lot of the young, new movements are being invited to come and say what they want to do. But we're really looking at working with traditional media as well as new media Mm -hmm. once we start and launch our task forces, which will be in November and December this year, to engage not by promoting answers but by asking the questions – we'll be working on an alternative fiscal model for Mm -hmm. Europe. So what is it that frustrates citizens when it comes to the current taxation systems? And there you come into fields like unfairness uh, and also within the digital society. And we, in fact, if you look at our governance structure, we have a very strong group of people on the media side. We have a chief digital officer, we have a media director and a chief data scientist Mm. to help us work not only with the traditional media, but also with new media in order to engage people around these topics. Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the projects you'll be working on in
0: that way is on taxes. But what is your other project? Uh, It's on democracy in a digital society. I think Cambridge Analytica Facebook incident really highlighted very deep problems that the digital revolution have brought to our current democratic systems. So Manuel Castells, who has been working on these issues for over 20 years, is our scientific lead in bringing some of these questions to the fore and to come up with an alternative model that can represent the European values in the digital. Uh, Europe doesn't really have a strategic position in the digital at the moment, Mm -hmm. which is mostly governed by big private-owned American companies. The Chinese are getting into that business. Europe is very weak. So what is our standard in that area? And I think there's one sentence that I always find very important, I think it's the final sentence of the book, Communicating Powers, written by Manuel Castells about the importance of communication networks and the digital Mm. in a political and in a power structure, where he really reiterates that the battle of the ownership and control of the internet will be the biggest battle of the next 10 years. Mm. So I think that Europe needs to think very differently about these issues. We need evidence, but we also need new creative thinking and we want to engage new groups that are usually not around the table in Brussels and that sits and discuss these topics.
1: So what kinds of new groups for the digital age would you bring in then?
0: Well, we'd like to bring in groups from the hacking community. We're talking to new young startups, Mm -hmm. to the new media, the blogosphere, and through our partners, because we're working with very diverse partners, Mm -hmm. to engage those people who are usually not interested or involved in these topics and i think if you frame the question right and you really listen which is something that unfortunately brussels is not renowned for but really listen to what is needed and think differently about the questions we can come with some new interesting solutions and i think it was i don't remember who but it's a ceo of one of the big digital companies who when talking about digital always said it's impossible for policy to catch up with what is happening. You need to engage the people who are building the new technologies from the beginning in regulating and asking also how you can regulate and what are the right questions to ask in doing that.
1: Well, you touched there on policymakers catching up, and I think that's the hard part. (laughs) The next step, and this is something I know we think a lot about at the OECD as well, is we can bring together all this creativity and this passion. We can listen, which is something that the OECD is trying very hard to do now as well, to do better. We may listen, we may come up with recommendations, but then how do we get policymakers to take them up?
0: I think organizations like the OECD and the European Commission have been doing brilliantly these past years to really change and become much more receptive Mm. to uh, other actors and other voices. I was sitting in the committee of Luc van der Brand on Citizen Outreach of the European Commission. This was called by President Jean-Claude Juncker. And I actually think there's a lot of positive things to say there. In 2009, I traveled around to all the leading newspapers in Europe and asked their editors-in-chief how many articles they were publishing about Europe. This was 10 years ago. Mm. And it was one to two somewhere in the middle of the paper usually about the size of tomatoes or something else you Mm. know a ridiculous story today europe is sent its first page in every newspaper every single european citizen has an opinion this was not this the case 10 years ago we agree it's usually not a very positive opinion but it has completely shifted the way and i don't think it is the role of the european commission or the oecd to be the spearhead in this debate it is civil society that where this needs to come from and civil society is being very active at a national level today and you can see strong groups and we need to build that at a European level. And I think that that is what's happening with the increasing interest of citizens on European issues. We need to build a civil society that can support and help. I think it's very positive to see just changing attitude of the OECD, the European Commission, and other international organization towards that. But fundamentally, I don't think it's their key role. Their key role is to be open and transparent. But we need to, as civil society organization, as nonprofit groups, as think tanks, be much more active in engaging people in these debates.
1: I hear you on open and transparent, but what does that mean
0: then as our role? Our role is to gather the information and to pass it on, or? well, I think that the OECD is doing wonderfully in what is your role at an international level, Mm -hmm. which is really to come up with standards for the leading economies in the world. And examples such as uh, the impact of the PISA study Mm -hmm. and, uh, and similar has really shown in a very divergent set of groups the role of the OECD and that is what you know the OECD does well and that is the role I think engaging and I think that's also that when it comes to the public debate you need to be able to sometimes pose the questions and say the things that organizations like the OECD that represent several national governments Mm. it's not your role to say it's your role to um, start new topics. I think that the NIke group mm. that is hosting the event now is doing a brilliant job in thinking about new economic approaches and so doing exercises like this I think is really what's going to shift the debate. Mm. I think what brings these debates to the public, to the broader public, has to be the media and civil society organisations that make sure that the brilliant work that you do gets out there and gets, and that citizens are made aware of that. Well, thank
1: you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a pleasure. I'm Kate Lancaster, and you've been listening to OECD Podcasts. To find out more about the issues Erica and I have been discussing, go to reimagine-europa.eu and to oecd.org. Thank you for choosing OECD Podcasts.